0: You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick.
1: On this episode of the Heat Check, we are now at the halfway point of the regular NBA season. Can you believe it? Time is going fast, folks. It is time for me, Professor Crick, to give out some grades. Some guys, some teams are getting the ruler, folks. Smack, smack. This episode, we're going to break down the Eastern Conference. We're going to grade every team from Atlanta down to the Washington Wizards. So let's get right to it, Nick. We don't have much time. Drop that generic-ass beat. All right, so we've reached halfway throughout the season. Actually, last thursday i could have done it but i didn't feel like it it was too much work it's a lot you gotta go into all these ratings and stats i don't mean to make it sound like my job's like super complicated it's not i do this for the love of the game so i wanted to do i wanted to do it right and now it's just like college it's like the midterm exams and we're giving out mid-semester grades Some teams, I think, will be very happy with their scores. Kids that came into the classroom, they had a backpack with no books in it, and you said to yourself, oh boy, this is going to be a doozy. And all of a sudden they became one of the best students in the whole damn classroom. And then others will probably be very sad. But them's the breaks. I am just the instructor, and I call it like I see it. So let's start out east. Let's break it down. Next episode, we'll break down the west because, like I said, these stats are hard to come by. So let's start in the Atlantic Division. The Atlantic Division is a wagon, by the way. You look at it, I think it's the best division in the entire NBA. uh, You may not think about it because who does? Who is in the Atlantic Division? Uh, It's the Nets. It's the Sixers. It's the Celtics. It's the Knicks. That's a good-ass Good-ass division. And, listen, like, most of these teams have had various degrees of dysfunction throughout this offseason and into the season itself. So, I mean, these teams were seen as toxic. Full rebuild situations like the Brooklyn Nets. Four of these teams right now, though, four of these teams are top six in the East. So that's a wagon. That's unreal. So let's start with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, that's the kid that came in with the backpack that was empty and you were like, this kid's going to fail. Like, this kid's probably going to withdraw the class in the first month of the season. They look like they were headed for a full teardown, didn't they? KD wanted out. Kyrie was a mess. He gets suspended. He wants a max deal. They say no in the offseason. There's just cascading thing after cascading thing. The whole Yahweh issue. Oh, my God. Joe Sai, they wanted to fire Sean Marks. Oh, yeah, by the way, they fired their coach in the middle of the season. Tried to hire Ime Udoka. That didn't work because the league shut that down. They brought in Jacques Vaughn, who was the interim head coach, the last time they fired their coach. So uh, it was a world-class distraction. You were like, okay, this is. We had the ghost of Nick Claxton. What's he going to be like? What's TJ Warren going to be? Ben Simmons, is he going to be himself? He had been, in his own mind, just very broken. And so you're thinking to yourself, at this point, this team's staring at a full rebuild, especially when Kevin Durant wanted out. And you look up after they fired Steve Nash, and they're second in the East. You gotta give the Brooklyn Nets an A plus. You have to. They are the second best defensive team in the last fifteen games. They went eighteen and two after they brought on Jacques Vaughn. Uh, K D until his injury became probably at the peak of his powers nick claxton by the way who no one is talking about as a real defensive player of the year he's like plus 1400 right now which is worth a little sprinkle if you want to put a little money on it for that award he's got 12 double doubles so far he's dominating in six of the seven interior categories in the league he leads the league in blocks ben simmons has been a game changer and it's not just the defense either. They've been very good in terms of their bench. Edmund Sumner, TJ Warren, my guy, John Utah, Watnabe, Joe Harris coming back from injury, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, Royce O'Neal, all of whom have stepped up now that Kevin Durant is out after, you know, for another month. Oh, yeah, by the way, Kyrie Irving is taking accountability. Have we seen that? Hey, I got to be a better leader. Did someone take over this man's account? You can't get a higher grade than the Brooklyn Nets, boy. I swear I thought that was a shit show. And they have vastly overperformed expectations. This team could win it all. What? Boston Celtics, less excited about them. Why? They went to the finals. They went to the finals. Yes, they had their share of dysfunction as well. They fired Ime Udoka. Let's be real. It's a firing. He's never coming back to this team. They bring on a guy with his own set of scandals, a bunch of skeletons in his closet, a religious zealot that he is, who I'm not completely sold on, and the team was in need of a prayer, and they found one. Uh... They went, obviously, had, they had a bunch of key pieces that they still had two of the best wings in the league with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, Rob Williams, though, missed 20, 29 games start of the season. And the fact that they're still number one in the East feels very impressive to me. They pick up Malcolm Brogdon, probably would have been a shoe in to win six man of the year if Russell Westbrook didn't become whatever we're seeing. Uh, if he gets traded, Malcolm Brogdon will win six man of the year. But the only thing that I can't give them an A-plus or an A, solid A, they're an A-minus for me. They lost to the Magic twice. They got stomped by the Dubs. They got stomped by the Clippers. They lost to the Thunder, the OKC Thunder, who is largely considered to be one of the biggest egregious tankers in the league. They lost to them by almost 50 points. 50 of them. Half of 100. So, I don't really know what else to say other than the motivation of this team can sometimes be called into question. And that, my friends, is a coaching problem and something that even Joe Missoula is making fun of, that he doesn't take timeouts when maybe he should and that the momentum shifts, et cetera, et cetera. Boston Celtics are going to be fine, but I can't give them an A-plus or an A-minus because largely the pieces are the same. Let's move on to the New York Knicks. New York Knicks got to give them B-minus. B-minus, which is pretty damn good, right? Pretty damn good for the New York Knicks. Halfway point specifically. Jalen Brunson has been a monster. He has worked out. He is averaging 32 points in the month of January. What? 50% from three-point range. Almost six rebounds, almost six assists per game. They've got one of the best road records in the NBA, 14-8. and Do you know... What the Golden State Warriors would do to be 14-8 and on the road? Julius Randle right now is playing out of his mind for the most part. And the young guys, they're developing into contributors as well, right? Like, yeah, we may not see Obi Toppin much, but he's been injured. R.J. Barrett on the other end hasn't been great despite his stats saying that he has been okay. He just hasn't really been there. He's gotten injured. I would imagine the one downside that the Knicks see is, wow, Donovan Mitchell really is him. We probably should have traded Quentin. Like, I can't believe that Quentin Grimes held this fucking trade up. Quentin Grimes. Do we see what Donovan Mitchell is doing? He has 71 points. If you would have said to Leon Rose, this man's going to score 71 in the garden. Are you willing to trade Quentin Grimes and R.J. Barrett. I think that they regret that decision. Fucking around, extending R.J. Barrett, trying to play little games with our man Danny Ainge. You can't play games with Ainge. Uh, They've blown on the other side. That's also bad. They've blown seven double-digit leads and lost those games. Remember the game that Luca had, like, one of his best performances ever? They scored, like, they were down nine with 30 seconds or 19 seconds to go and the Mavs won that game yeah that was against the Knicks (laughs) that was against them when it comes down to crunch time the offense goes stagnant they miss a bunch of free throws I think they were like 11 for 41 a couple of games ago certainly a fun team definitely overperformed but some flaws some bad decisions where I feel like man would they be good with Donovan Mitchell Moving forward in the Atlantic Division, Philadelphia 76ers, who to me, they are a B+. Plus. They are very interesting. I think this is the same sort of team as they were last year where I don't know if they're good or not. I don't know. I'm not sure. They could go to the Eastern Conference Finals. They could flame out in the first round. All of that depends on the two key pieces, which is James Harden and Joel Embiid. Are they healthy? Are they in shape? Do they have a connection? Can they be stopped? How is the defense doing? Well, they brought on P.J. Tucker, uh, the guy who was considered and would be one of the best point-of-attack defenders in the league. He has stunk. He has stunk so bad that people within the blogosphere of Philadelphia 76ers media are calling for him to be sitting his ass on the bench. So all that considered, for the Sixers to still be Fourth in the league in defensive rating with P.J. Tucker largely being not very effective is pretty good because of De'Anthony Melton. That De'Anthony Melton trade that they made with the Memphis Grizzlies is unreal. De'Anthony Melton is one of the top leaders in steals per game and deflections. If you look at Embiid and Harden, their connection has been elite. They've also had their fair share of injuries, though, so you can't give them an eight. Because right? all those things that we worry about have already reared their ugly head. Embiid has missed time. He's missed nine games. Harden has missed 14 games in a row. He's back. Uh, and somehow, a player that they did not account to lose, Tyrese Maxey, missed 19 games. But all of that considered, the Sixers still managed to go 13-6 and six without him. And they're healthy now. So with Maxey and Embiid and Harden, De'Anthony Melton all on the court, Gelling and meshing. This team could be really, really dangerous. Tobias Harris, he doesn't even have to do much now that Tyrese Maxey is good. He's a very solid fourth option. Considering that his stats have declined and plummeted off of a cliff, it's okay because you don't need him to score a bucket when Embiid is out sitting on the bench. It's like, that's fine. Just spot up, shoot threes, catch and shoot, maybe do a little dribble drive, pass back to James, and let the offense flow. So this team could be dangerous. Or, like I said, they could be a first or second round exit. Toronto Raptors, what's stopping me from giving you an F? (sighs) Hope, good roster, good GM, good coach. They're a D minus. This is a team that you could say is one of the most disappointing teams in the NBA. I thought they would be like a top four, top five seed. When you have current players like CJ McCollum commenting about the Toronto Raptors, generally speaking, in, like nobody speaks about them, right? But when you have them talking about the Toronto Raptors on an ESPN hit with Izzy Gutierrez – and speaking of them in negative terms, not in the fact that they're the, the gold standard, which is what they have been for recruiting and scouting and developing talent and making talent gel and mesh, finding guys that came from the G League. All of that is what Toronto is known for. Right now, they are known for their dysfunction. And now that means it has bubbled up to be mainstream news. Quickly, as an aside, does anyone find it weird that CJ McCollum, who's not just a player, he is the president of the NBA Players Union, is commenting on this on ESPN. Like, I don't know, like just feeding chum to the aggregators, the bloggers for drama purposes and driving ESPN's ratings at the detriment of other NBA teams as a whole, like, I feel like Kevin Durant would not like that. I don't feel like the pure hoopers would want to do that. That's kind of the icky thing where it feels like these players are towing the line between player and, like, media personality. Like, you can't on one hand be CJ, the New Orleans Pelican, hooper, mid-range master, and on the other hand, hot take men, Stephen A. Smith, wannabe. I don't like that. I don't like that. But here's what he had to say when he was spilling the tea.
0: I think in terms of what they need or what they're lacking, Something's gonna happen. I don't know what. There's rumblings about certain players on the team not being happy and due to tampering. I can't speak to that, but I think they're gonna they're gonna move someone.
1: So let's break this down. The Raptors came to the season and we all thought that they were on the rise. Scotty Barnes wins rookie of the year. He looks to emerge as a real superstar, playmaker, can do multiple things on the court. Siakam, we knew he was gonna take a step up, and he did take a step up. He's been insane this year. Absolutely incredible. OG Ananobi was supposed to break out. He's actually leading the league in deflections right now. So defensively, he's been amazing. And they got out from under Kyle Lowry's contract. They had Fred Van Fleet, who was an all-star. Like All of this gave us vibes of improvement, right? You've got to bring in another heavy hitter. Okay, okay, it's all good. But no, halfway through the season, despite a team of 6'7 to 6'9 guys, with the, with the best steal rate in the league, allowing the fifth least points in the paint, the fourth lowest second chance points in the league, the Raptors are only 15th in the league in defensive rating. So why, folks? They're five games under five hundred. They are out of the play-in tournament, and I am not sure that they will sneak into the play-in tournament. And now you've got rumblings about various players wanting out. Fred Van Fleet wanted to get paid them not wanting to pay him because he is undersized and has somewhat of a ball-dominant attitude. Pascal Siakam is one of the only guys that is untradeable, but does he want to be traded? I've heard that OG Ananobi is unhappy with his role and how he's being used on this team. Who is not unhappy? Scotty Barnes doesn't look happy. You've got Nick Nurse throwing Gary Trent under the bus and saying, listen, if he can't play defense, he's of no use to us. He's yelling at players on the coach. I mean, at the on the bench. There's just so much going on with this team. Safe to say this is not the way anybody thought it would go. Not the way that anybody would want it to go. Which is why they get a failing grade. They can't get an F because I love Masai Ujiri and I think he's too smart to let this shit happen. Still time for things to turn around. But when you only have two guys on this roster who are untouchable, that's a rut row. That is a massive, massive rut row.